Welcome back to the Off Duty On Duty podcast, episode number 57. 57 down. I'm your host, Brian Eastridge. Welcome to the podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com podcast network. Here at the Off Duty On Duty podcast, we take topics relevant to today's gun owners and we tackle them from the perspective of law enforcement officers and concealed carriers to give you both angles of discussion today. Lee Weems, welcome him back to the podcast, and we're going to talk range gaffes and funny cop stories. Cool? little departure from the normal tactic, cool guy shooter stuff. But first, our sponsor for today, title sponsor of the podcast, XS Sites at XSSites.com. Check them out. New sponsor, Elite Survival Gear, products for your EDC needs. They are the first company that was building nylon gear in gun cases back in 1979. That's 42 years. You know how I know that? I was born in 79. Don't just survive, thrive. Check them out at EliteSurvivalGear.com or I'm I'm sorry, EliteSurvival.com. They got a couple of backpacks for SBRs, Guardian Pack and the Stealth Pack. Go check them out. As always, CCW Safe, you want to save 10% off your membership, Enter code off duty ten at checkout. Give you ten percent off your uh, your whatever membership you you select. The most comprehensive coverage by the most experienced team. CCWSafe.com and uh, you know honorary always sponsor EDC Belt Code EDCBeltCode.com. Spring our guest. Forgot to mention in the pre-show uh, the concealed carry podcast giveaway. Brad P was this week's winner, and he got a a barrel block. And uh, next week's winner, I don't, or <laughs> next week's drawing, I believe, is for a T-shirt. I'll have to check that in the post show. Uh, unfortunately, I was uh, we we gathered a new sponsor, so I was having to do all the brush up on that, and I forgot to mention the Concealed Carry Podcast giveaway. So, sorry, Jacob. Sorry, Riley. Uh, but Lee Weems is joining me this evening, and I've titled this episode uh, "Range Gaffs and Funny Cop Stories." And to kind of change it up from the average gun guy stuff and all that, um, you know, I find the episodes that we throw a little cop humor in there or a little, a little piece of like behind the badge stuff. It, it, uh, it resonates with some people. And, um, so I kind of thought, why I haven't done an episode devoted to that. So who better than, uh, the 22 year tenured law enforcement veteran Lee Weems. Well, after that auspicious introduction, I hope I can find some humor tonight. Yeah. Well, you know, you're well on your way to becoming a luminary. <laughs> well, I don't know. Uh, well, I, I know I don't stand at the same stature as Wayne Dobbs. And, uh, Few people we'll, do. We'll, we'll have to see if Rich Gassy will, will bestow that title. I mean, now, Masada, you did, excuse me, did bestow the title of Ace Police Trainer on me. Ace Police Trainer. I like that one. Yeah, I almost had business cards made up that just said Lee Weems, Ace Police Trainer, and I was just going to hand them out at every event I went to. I, I was trying to think. They, they sometimes used to call me Ace Ventura back when I weighed 160 pounds, but so... <laughs> <laughs> well there's a funny cop story in and of itself um, i haven't weighed 160 pounds since high school yeah well i uh the army they they kept us moving and didn't feed us much and then on the pd i was like hey why is the dry cleaner keep shrinking my uniform man uh <laughs> i think that happens to the best of us but uh 
Well, I'll kick it off with a range gaff because I figure you'll appreciate this. And I can't remember if I've told this story before, but uh, I had this young this young lad in in uh, training in the basic academy, and it was uh, you know when it comes to fundamental shooting, I had to really get rudimentary with the terminology, and it wasn't a knock at his intelligence or anything. It was just like to bridge the communication barrier was very difficult at times. And I get everything ironed out. And the last and final piece was guy'd press the trigger. The gun had come up in recoil and the gun would stay there in recoil until like, okay, I got to shoot again. So I'll redo this process. So we were missing that whole follow through piece. Right. But he was hitting, you know, he was making solid hits on the target. So I'm like, Ooh, man, I got to address this. And, and it's also one of the reasons that like follow through, I kind of, I, I don't put a lot of emphasis on it until I can get you to hit the target. Right. But, uh, but I look at him and I go, okay, you got to drive the gun with the sights. And he turns his head to me and, and was surprised that there was not a steering wheel on the back of the gun. That's the only, the, the, this look of surprise. And I was like, you have to like drive the gun back to where it was or where you need it to go based on where your eyes are looking. Well, I'm looking at the target. I'm like, I'm aware I can see that. Well, I try all these different methods to get him to do this and nothing connects. And that night uh, I go home thinking, man, I'm a failure. I, I can't get this guy to understand. And next day he shows up to the range and he is shooting uh, just at a level that I'm like, I'm intrigued with at this point. Cause I'm like, what? I, I'm the best instructor ever. He went home, digested this and came back and I have bestowed knowledge and fixed him. And I said, well, Hey dude, what, what changed overnight? He goes, well, sir, my wife hunts deer. I'm like, Ooh, well, that's, that's an interesting thing already. Like, okay. So you don't hunt. Well, whatever. But, and she said, when you shoot the deer through the scope, you just got to keep aiming at the deer while you're cycling the action. And since we shoot a, a semi-auto pistol, the action already does that for you. You see how like simple building <laughs> we're getting here. Right. And I go, all right. Uh, do you have her phone number? Cause I may need her to translate later in the day. And he looks at me and pulls his phone out of his pocket. And I go, I'm just kidding, bro. Like, <laughs> so that was like my range gaff that kind of changed the perspective on how I teach is like, I just assumed when I said drive the gun, he didn't, he very took very literally that there was a way to steer the gun, um, which, you know, when we're in gun guy lingo and we say drive the gun back to the center of the target, well, that just means we move the gun back there. Right. right. And that concept was lost. So so there's my range gaff. So what do you got? <laughs> I was a fairly new instructor with the PD and, you know, for the audience, they need to understand in the private sector instructor schools, like such as range master, all the curriculum is on coaching an individual shooter and the end of institutional instructor schools, such as the FBI federal law enforcement training center, or in my case, the Georgia post, uh, Peace Officer Standards and Training Council at the Public Safety Training Center. It's all about running a line of shooters through a course of fire, actually administering a qualification, et cetera. There's not a whole lot of time spent on individual coaching. But you graduate from 
from instructor school, they hand you this piece of paper that says you are now an instructor and you're supposed to go back to your agency and I guess figure all this out on your own. And so I was still fairly new and I was tasked with, um, and let me back up here for a second. We, we would have the occasional, the agency would hire people, send them to the academy. They would have a, supposedly a week of range week in the academy. And if they failed on Friday, when they were shooting their qualification tests for score, they would come back on Monday and they would give them an additional opportunity. And if they failed on that Monday, they were thrown out of the academy. And so after several in- instances of on Friday afternoon, getting a call from one of the brass say, Hey, we need you to take so-and-so out this weekend and fix them so that they qual. Uh, several of the other instructors and I got together and we pitched, why don't we do like a three or four day class with these people before they go to the academy and so sure enough uh, we get to go ahead on that we put together this one day of classroom followed by i think two days of range and um, i do the classroom portion with this group and go out to the range with them and working them through things and i had this this one uh, female officer who turned out to be a great officer in the in the long run um was having an extreme difficulty on the range. And I'm like, there's no way in the world she's going to make it to the academy. We're wasting our time and our effort to send her. And so I give them all a break and I step off to the side and I call the, the lead fire instructor who is my lieutenant. I'm like, hey, LT, uh, um, I don't think this one's going to make it. It's bad. I'm talking, we're shooting like the best score we've gotten is like a 50 but it's been down into the thirties for most of the time. And he said, well, just, you know, do the best you can run it through it. You're not a miracle worker. We can't save everybody. Yeah. I said, okay. And so I said, I was going to give it one last ditch effort and I had them all gather around and I pull out the ubiquitous cotton notepad that we always carry. Uh-huh. And I pull out my pen and I draw like a target and I draw a front sight and a rear sight, you know, and I've got the front sight centered and squared in the notch. And I said, as you're looking through the rear side at the front side, it needs to be, and she goes, Oh, we're supposed to look through the rear side. Because <laughs> what have we harped on as instructors is focus on the front side, focus on the front side, focus on the front side. And whatever angle she had the gun turned at, she was hard focused on that front side and was pressing the trigger. When I got her to actually look through the rear side at the front side, all the problems went away. <laughs> just yeah. that simple and, and i went back we had like i said day day of classroom and so i went back to the office pulled up the powerpoint that we used and like scroll through the site picture side alignment i go yeah it's up there on, yeah. on the screen but she had just missed that part in the classroom that day and so i may go to point now when i'm teaching you you look through the rear side like it's a window at the front side uh superimposed on the target yeah it's it that that kind of goes back to like don't take things for granted and i think it takes instructors just in general it just takes you a lot of those situations of working those out and problem solving uh and some of them tend to be extremely humorous when everything you know um i can't remember who it was daryl or somebody talking about yeah i was telling this person look at the front side and they looked at the one that was right in front of their face which was the rear Mm -hmm. side and uh so, you know, tenured instructors, especially as you start to get tenure, it, it turns into a puzzle of, 
I know we said that, but how can I say it differently? You know, I mean, yeah, I keep a running file on my phone and the, uh, the notes section on my phone. And it's, it's just my instructor thoughts. And anytime something comes to mind or I notice something or whatever, I open up the phone and type it in there real quick. And occasionally I just go back and read through the list. And one of them is don't presume that the terminology and things are commonly understood. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we got through those really fast. So I'll, <laughs> I got, <laughs> I'm, I'm cracking up just even thinking about this one. We'll, we'll, we'll give it one more. Um, cause this one just came to me when you were saying that. And, uh, at the end of our Academy, we have these, uh, uh, like transitional exercises where, you know, you might pick up a shotgun and shoot and run some type of a combat or some type of practical application of the handgun. And we do it day and night fire and, uh, not real high round count, just like decision-making while you're, you're running the gun. And, um, we would have this one particular phase. We had everybody, uh, we didn't have slings on the, on the shotguns or some, something to that effect. So it was like, okay, what we're going to do is teach them, uh, you know, shoot the gun empty and then lock the action open, put the safety on and we'll have them ground it in front of them. Uh, and then take a kneeling position by their shotgun, put two hands on the two hands on the pistol and finish out the rest of it with their pistol and then, you know, reload their pistol, or if they're empty, they'll make their pistol safe and it's index, right? Um, and it was just kind of a, can they think, can they select a slug? Can they do the all these appropriate deals? Well, you know, we're real big on action, open safety on. I think everybody that's ever been in the shotgun world, port arms, action, open safety on, uh, you know, and ground the shotgun or rack it or whatever to to make it administratively safe for, Hey, say you're in a real situation. You don't want to leave a live gun there, action, open safety on huck it in your police car and move on or whatever. So, um, this kid comes out and shoots like what I can only describe as like a Rob Latham time on this course. It, and he was not one of the better shooters. And it, I think it was just, he was running on automaticity at that point. And, so he runs this five plate dozer drill, probably sub two does a select a slug drills, a, a, a steel plate at like 70 yards, cracks the action open, puts the safety on grounds. It transitions to his pistol, runs a six plate rack in a Rob Latham time, dumps his magazine, locks the gun open and sets it on the ground and throws his hands up in the air. Like he's just tied a calf time. <laughs> and we all just stopped, you know, because it was like, Okay, that wasn't in the instructions, but there again, it was one of those moments where every recruit, every instructor, everyone in the half mile vicinity of our range complex stopped what they were doing and gasped for air. You know, <laughs> what did what just happened? And uh, consequently, there was a lot of PT and remedial training involved in the aftermath of that <laughs> particular situation, uh, which had. Uh, other instructors taking pieces of said person's gun and running to different paces on the range and making him request them with pushups and get and reassemble his firearm to put it back in it. So that was a funny one. But there again, that's one of those that sometimes we take for granted the way that we're training people and we put them into an intense uh, 
decision-making process and the funniest stuff comes out. But on the instructor side, it's also not, it's funny, but it's not funny because you realize the adrenaline dump that went with that. That's probably how that person's going to react if, if we get on a two-way range, right? Right. So, uh, so that was kind of, that was my second range gaff. If you got another one, go ahead. Oh, well, you know, since you brought up a shotgun, uh, I was teaching a shotgun class to the agency and um, was going over how you set up a shotgun to what we call gun box ready. Some people call it cruiser ready, uh-huh. uh, you know, whichever term you want to use. And for those that aren't familiar with, with what we're talking about here is on like a pump shotgun, of course, one semi-auto as well. Uh, you don't want to ride around in the, in the patrol car with a round chamber because shotguns are not drop safe. And so the first step in setting up a shotgun to gun box ready or cruiser ready is you make sure that the chamber is clear. And you're supposed to visually and physically check the chamber work the action, do it again, make sure there's nothing in the magazine too, make sure there's nothing on the elevator, make sure, again, that the the chamber is clear because then you point the firearm in a safe direction and you press the trigger, which thus unlocks the action on the pump shotgun. You don't necessarily have to do that on semi-auto. But you pump, pull the trigger on a pump shotgun because the action is unlocked. Well, then you put all the, the rounds in the mag tube so that when you grab the shotgun to deploy it, the action is unlocked and you simply have to rack the action to chamber around. Somewhere along the lines, one of my guys missed the whole, there should not be a round in the chamber when we point the shotgun in a safe direction and press the trigger to make sure that the chamber is clear. And I can attest that the age old adage, age old adage that the loudest noise in the world is a boom when you're expecting a click is 100% accurate. <laughs> I have seen this movie before. Yes. <laughs> this yes. <laughs> cruiser ready. Um, I, <laughs> for the listening audience, when you're running a, a line of shooters uh, on a standardized shotgun qualification that requires cruiser ready, gun box ready, car safe, however you, uh, cruiser safe, whatever terminology you use can only be described as hair raising um, because there is a lot of uh, mechanical motor skills going on there that uh, maybe don't get exercised all that often. So uh, yeah, I I've, I've been present when that's occurred at uh, yeah, that can, <laughs> yeah, it, it was either that training session or the very next one on which shotguns at that agency died. Yeah, uh, because we introduced AR-15s, you know, patrol rifle as an option, um, at about that same time. And I'm teaching the shotgun portion. One of the other guys is teaching the AR familiarization and qual. And I see the guys that they've never handled a rifle before, but it works the same as a pistol as far as the loading and unloading sequence goes. You put the magazine in and you run the bolt. That's like putting the magazine in a pistol and running the slide. Uh huh. All right. And then they shoot and they get this little pew, 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 and there's no recoil. And then here I am having to explain, okay, you got to do all this. You got to make sure the chamber's clear. You got to check the ceiling, you know, the slide. You got to check the lifter. You got to check everything. And then it's got this big boom and a recoil. And it's like right there on the range. 
they were like, we don't want to do shotguns anymore. Yeah. And so the chief made the decision after that session to take all the live ammo out of the shotguns and uh, replace them with, le- with less lethal ammo. So every shotgun in the HC after that point was loaded with less lethal rounds. And probably got spray painted orange. And yeah. Yeah. I've seen that happen to a lot of agencies. And I, I myself personally, I, I'm not the best shotgun instructor, I'll admit. I mean, I have taught it and, uh, you know, been through all the, the train-ups on it and all that. And I've always gravitated, gravitated towards the Benelli Super 90. And so I can shoot them well, but it's also, uh, I have the, I still have, even though I'm not a dyed-in-the-wool shotgun guy, I still, it pains me when I hear people are kind of like drifting away from it. Because it is a great tool. It's an excellent tool. Um, yeah. But I, there again, that's that's a, that's a range gaff that's funny. But at the same time, it's kind of, I've seen that happen with several agencies where a cruiser safe incident causes, that goes in a safe direction, thankfully. Um, it, it still ends up being kind of the death nail in the of uh, the shotguns. But yeah, thankfully he was not, preparing that shotgun in the squadron yeah or the back of his car or yeah yeah but uh let's see moving moving into funny cop stories i was trying to think of one that may or may not uh draw upon the uh a person's ability to hold their lunch or dinner uh because there's lots of those but but i'll tell one on myself because this is uh this was one of those moments where you got to learn sometimes it's okay just to tell people sorry we can't help you out <laughs> and uh it was right at the end of shift and i was a young officer on graveyards and my partner and i'll throw him under the bus because he's retired and his name is chris ramming and uh chris and i respond to an early morning call it's the end of the shift and it's like we're the only two guys in service let's just go handle this and get you know get to bed excuse me and uh so this gentleman approaches me in the hallway of a local apartment housing development there and he says man uh this woman kicked me out of her apartment and my hat and my coat and my wallet are in there and she won't open the door i was like well she just hadn't had the cop knock you know whatever i'd knock on and uh so being the young guy i i go first and i knock on the door and uh it's a big concrete building with you know cinder block walls and on that and so i'm hitting this steel door with my hand and the door flies open and uh the this woman has no clothing on from the waist down and she's eating chick like a chicken wing Uh and she has one in each side of her mouth and her dentures aren't seated so it looks kind of like if you've ever seen the movie predator when he takes the mask off (laughs) and i like i get wide-eyed and i go to back out of the door and i can see over her shoulder i can see this guy's hat coat and wallet laying on her and she is um as drunk as a human being could possibly be and still be standing at 7 30 on a you know tuesday morning and i go to back out of the door and i can't move because Chris has his hand squarely in the center of my lower back, not letting me escape the uh, situation at hand. And 
I hear his foot anchor behind him where he's, and he goes, no, sir, you're going to go get that hat, man, get his stuff and let's get on with this. So I pull a Walter Payton maneuver and I roll to the left. I bounce off the door jam. I do kind of a pirouette through the living room, avoiding her, avoiding all of the furniture in one motion. I scoop the guy's hat, coat and wallet up into a ball. I throw them over her to my partner who catches it, hands it to the guy. And then I have to escape back through this gauntlet of half chewed chicken and naked person. And I roll to the left and she starts to move to the left. And I, I do like a Deion Sanders maneuver at this point, I kind of stiff arm and I, I roll out the back and I shut the door behind me and the guy goes, thank you. And I'm like, okay, good night. Well, have a good one. And because she was so intoxicated, our ambulance service had showed up and they witness all of this. They see all of this happen and they are laughing, laughing, laughing. And Chris looks at me and he goes, Hey, you got a little something on your shirt, <laughs> right? You see where this is going and the audience, you know, I don't record YouTube, but, um, if you've ever seen that little chunk of chicken at the end of the bone, that's not quite meat and it's not tendon. It's just this gelatinous fat is stuck directly to the center of my shirt and i immediately start dry heaving and uh i'm like oh okay so i look at the ambulance people they're gloved up right they've got their ppe equipment on mm -hmm. and i look at this this gal and i go hey will you do me a favor will you get that off of me before i throw up and she flicks it. And when she does, it sticks to the concrete wall. And it goes, like it makes a noise, <laughs> like it just clicks. And when that happens, I immediately lose the IHOP breakfast that I had just purchased not 30 minutes before, all down the hallway, which causes everybody to laugh. Well, as we make it out the door, the ambulance worker, the, the paramedic there, uh, after witnessing me do this immediately starts heaving on the side of the ambulance, which they've got to now go clean. So, um, it, it was similar to the movie stand by me's bar for Rama. So that was, uh, two valuable lessons in there. One, never trust your partner. And two, <laughs> you can trust him with your life, but not in a situation like that. And, uh, <laughs> ain't no falcon like blue falcon oh man he was caca wings spread but and two sometimes it's okay to look people and go sorry i can't get your wallet back uh you'll have to come back later um yeah. so yeah the wisdom that's the that's the wisdom you only get through experiencing those type of scenarios so that brings to mind a, uh, a funny story that I cannot tell. Oh no! And, and, and on air uh, because it will. Uh, there's no way to say it without uh, tell it without getting into some terminology that we Yo, probably yeah. should not should not use in this setting. Um, but since we've already crossed the line into the Blue Falcon, um, <laughs> I will have to tell. Uh, my favorite practical joke that we played on a guy. Oh, perfect. You, you know, you talk about wanting to dehumanize the badge, the relentless practical jokes that take place. Uh, that's, that's the only reason to actually do this job and to stay in it. It's because, you know, you, you want to see all the practical jokes that take place. Uh, we had a guy who was like extremely computer illiterate. Um, 
horribly computer illiterate. Now, this was also 2005 or 2006s. And uh, he just was not latching on to this whole computer world. I'm not certain if he's even figured out how to send a text message yet. Right. And he wound up as the sergeant in the detective unit. And so he's in his office typing a warrant and he's kind of under the gun. And so that's the best time to pull a practical joke on somebody. (laughs) And he gets up and he makes the mistake of leaving his office without securing his computer. Oh, no. And now I'm party to a crime of this. I, I stood look out in the hallway. So I get the same punishment as the guy <laughs> who actually perpetrated the crime. Um, one of the other guys went into uh, our victim's office and knowing that he's completely computer illiterate, well, we brought up his, his M word and we changed the default font in his word to white. <laughs> So that when he typed, the cursor moved across the screen, but no letters appeared on the screen. They were appearing. They're just in white and on the white background. And then we went into the autocorrect and changed the word the to greasy walrus. So every time time he typed, the word the greasy walrus appeared on on his screen. (laughs) I got (laughs) it. We I managed. Need a minute. <laughs> I had to mute myself because I thought I was going to lose my lunch. Man, I'm laughing so hard. Oh, that's beautiful. And so then we managed to, you know, get get out of his office and back down to the patrol supervisor's office without being spotted. And so he comes back up into his office. He sits down. And he starts typing. And of course, the the cursor starts moving on the screen. Nothing appears. And what makes it so much better is we had an IT guy who wasn't a bad guy, just his personality and cop personality just did not mesh. And that led to some, to some hard feelings sometimes. And so our victim has no idea of what's going on with his computer. So he has to go get this IT guy that we're not exactly seeing eye to eye with and brings the IT guy up there who finally figures out what has happened. And so we're all down in the office just trying to keep from busting out laughing and everything. So then our victim, now that he starts typing, he can see the words appearing, all of a sudden realizes that greasy walrus and this is in his document like 87 times because it's replaced every V in there. And so he not knowing how to fix that has to go get the IT guy yet again to come over and fix it. And he was so amused that the IT guy had to come figure out all this stuff that he couldn't get mad at us over it. And that was like, so we got like double bonus extra point word score on that one for getting both him and the IT guy. Oh, I, oh man, greasy water. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, I'm going to have to go back and edit some of that out because I think I lost it. Um, you know, as I try to be the consummate professional uh, right. podcast broadcaster, but uh, oh, that is classic. That I think uh, you're absolutely right. That's probably... I would say after the first three years of police work, you're just hanging around for the jokes. Greasy. To, th- to this day from that day, I have not walked away from my computer without hitting the control lock key to lock the oh. keyboard in the screen. Oh, that's, that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. We, we had a, 
We had the, the, the polar opposite. We had that kid that was IT savvy and he used to go, we had an officer on our shift that was the consummate practical joker. And they, you know, every night you go to your briefing, I don't know if it's like this rear hat, but you'd go to your briefing before your like right as your shift started and they'd read off all the wants and warrants, recent warrants, radiograms, you know, missing persons, persons of interest, uh-huh. stolen cars, just kind of all, you know, area dependent. And he would go in and they come off a printer and they would go immediately up on the lineup board. And they had one that was uh, a gentleman that was wanted for, we'll just say a particular form of animal abuse. So he pulls the personnel photo of the guy that's sitting in our room and photoshops it onto the wanted and then puts the officer's name in it. Wow. And, you know, some of the old, uh, you know, salty supervisors, they'd just be flipping through those things and reading name, birth date. This is what they're wanted for. Last known address. Moving on. And he reads this officer's <laughs> in front of about a about a 35 people. All right. You know, Jeffrey so-and-so wanted for animal. And then you could see him just stop. And like he doesn't know if he's being messed with. And then he pulls the guys. He pulls this thing off the, the, the lineup board. He looks at it. And he goes, uh, Jeff, we need to have a chat in my office when we're done. <laughs> and, uh, oh man, but yeah, the practical jokes. Oh man, they're, they're, they're so great. And I, uh, I had your, like your IT deal. I was, I was telling at, uh, the CCW safe summit, I, w- I was talking to some other guys, they're instructors and they're not in the cop world. And there's me and like my dad and a whole bunch of other dudes that are sitting around a table and we're telling these old like cop practical joke stories. And you know, when you get in the role of it there and I look up and I realize like half the people at the table are just looking at us like we're crazy. Like you find humor in this and like you have to, or the drive will drive you off the deep end. But, uh, well, I, I think that's a good, good place to stop on greasy walruses. And <laughs> well, I've got another one with the oh, same. Victim. Yes, please do. All right. So 2004, uh, the, it was the United States turn to host the G eight summit. Yes. And at the previous G eight summit that the U S had hosted, there had been massive protests. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there was a similar something that, that took well, like one was in Miami, one was in Seattle and there had been just like hugely destructive, uh, protest album. And so 2004 rolls around U S turned to host, um, President George W. Bush had been to Sea Island, Georgia on like a vacation and thought, you know, this would be a great place to host the G8 Summit. Well, for those that aren't familiar with Sea Island, Georgia, just off the coast of Georgia, a little south of Savannah, is uh, St. Simons Island. Well, you have to cross all the way over St. Simons Island. I think it's St. Simons. It's not Jekyll. You you cross all the way over St. Simons and... (laughs) Um, there's a causeway that takes you out to Sea Island. And so the only way to get to Sea Island is to cross the bridge from the mainland out to St. Simon's Island and then cross this causeway. So if we control the bridge, we control complete land access, you know, to, to the islands. And then the, the DNR and the Coast Guard just dominated the intercoastal waterway there. And so unless you got you know, C-130s that are going to airdrop the protesters in, there's no way for them to get out to the actual 
islands where uh, the protests are being held. Right. And then the government um, went in well ahead of time and rented out all the hotels and rental houses and stuff to house this army of cops from all over the state they were bringing in to work this event. And so the protesters really were priced out. They camped out and did some other things. And they tried to take the bridge one time and ended up doing like a handcuff chain and sitting down in the roadway. Well, it was in June in Georgia. It gets a little warm here. Right. And, you know, just veteran cops just get out there and kind of direct the traffic around them like they were a traffic circle. And we left them out there till the heat and humidity finally made them decide they didn't want to do that. Well, our team from the PD, we had a crowd control team, which is a polite way of saying riot squad. Mm-hmm. We were assigned as the quick response team for the multi-agency command, which everything in the other stuff gets a Mac, yeah, acronym. They called it the MAC. And so we were the night shift quick response team. And we were stationed in an airplane hangar. And then they had National Guard stationed on the fence around the whole facility where we're at, which was the airport there on on St. Simons Island. And should there be an incident arise, like people trying to breach the fence, get over into that, we would respond as the quick response force to address that situation. So we were the night shift. Uh, We're working seven at night till seven in the morning. And what our commanding officer decided to do was we divided into two different squads and one squad would be on alert for an hour and be up in their gear and everything. Then the other squad would be on alert for an hour, et cetera. And so this goes on, you know, for a day or two. And then finally, it's nothing's happening. Everybody's getting relaxed. And our said victim from our previous <laughs> practical joke, when his team was not on, his squad was not on alert, um, made the mistake of dozing off in a chair in this airplane hangar. Now, this is one of those folding camp chairs that has the footstool out at the end of it. You know, yeah. Sticks out. Oh, yeah. And so he's got he's got his feet in the stool of this this folding camp chair, and he's just sacked out, going mm-hmm. to sleep in this chair. Well, we cut the lights off in the hangar, and everybody got around. It's got these aluminum walls, and we all got out our flashlights and everything, and we turned them on and started doing like laser show all over the thing. So it looks like we're in like a an insane disco asylum mm-hmm. in, in this hangar. And then on cue, everybody starts beating on the side of the aluminum walls and screaming. Oh, no. And he jerked awake and saw all these lights flashing and and heard all these screams. And he starts yelling, we're under attack. We're under attack. And he can't get out of this chair because, as you know, duty gear in those camp chairs just don't mix well. No. And so he near about breaks his neck trying to get out of this chair. And he finally gets out takes off running and grabs one of the other guys by the body armor and drags him out of the hangar screaming we're under attack we're under attack and when he gets outside he stops and he looks around and only then did he realize what had happened to him oh man that's classic that is that is army practical joke worthy right oh, there yeah. oh man yeah, we, we had used a uh, like a U-Haul type trailer to haul some gear, and we had it backed into the hangar. And I went over and stood by it. That way, in case he went a little nuts when he jarred away, I could just dive into the trailer and get a little more protection. <laughs> always know you. Always know where the first available cover is, right? right. Oh, when we when we talked to him about it later, after everybody quit laughing twenty minutes or so down the road, um, he said when he woke up. You remember the first Gulf War? Oh, yeah. 
and all the footage of like the lights and the Sam rockets firing yeah, into yeah. the air and everything. The where he was sitting and with the hangar door was open, and he looked out that door, you could see the control tower for the airport. Okay. And so it silhouetted against the night sky. And then with all those lights flashing, his mind went to those Sam rockets getting launched at the aircraft. And he really and truly thought we were under attack. That's classic, man. Oh, we may have to devote a whole nother episode to range gaffs and and cop comedy. Oh, I think that's what I'm going to call it. Range gaffs and cop comedy. Well, dude, uh, Weary from a long road trip, I'm sure. So, yeah. I uh, I appreciate your time, and uh, hopefully, hopefully, uh, you won't encounter any greasy walruses or air attacks. <laughs> All right, thanks, Lee Weems. <laughs> Range gaffs and cop comedy. Oh. <laughs> Greasy walruses. A reminder. Check out today's sponsors. Excess Sites Elite Survival Gear. CCW Safe. EDC Belt Company. The Concealed Carry Podcast Giveaway, which I'm sorry I didn't mention it completely in the pre-show, but uh, sign up weekly. Links are in the show notes. As always, if you haven't, please subscribe. And, uh, you know, share it with all your friends on your favorite platform. You can uh, share it on Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, We're on all of them. So thanks, Lee Weems, again for coming in and uh, helping me change it up. Change the, uh, not necessarily the format, but the content this week. And uh, hopefully uh, you, the listening audience, enjoyed it as well. Drop us a comment on Facebook or you know, whatever podcast platform, give us a five-star rating. I appreciate those. The Off-Duty, On-Duty Podcast is a production of Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC. Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC, presents the following content for educational purposes only. Always take proper precautions. Follow all firearm safety rules. Consult with a competent firearms instructor and have trained medical staff on hand when operating live firearms. Legal content commentary, or explanations do not constitute legal advice. We are not attorneys and recommend always consulting with competent legal counsel when researching or seeking to understand laws and legal application. Eastridge Training and Consulting LLC, its participants, partners, and affiliates are not liable for any action taken based on the content of this shared podcast.